0: to chapter 39 again, Genesis 39, and again, probably for most of you, it's a familiar passage, Genesis 39, follow along as I read. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. Potiphar, an officer, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he had put into his hand. And it came to pass, at the time that he had made him overseer of the house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house And in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. And it came to pass after these things that the master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused, and said to his master's wife, Behold, my master wanteth not what is what is with me in the house. And he had committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie with her, or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went unto the house to do his business, and there was none of the men in their house there, there where we're in. And she caught him by his garment and saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left the garment in her hand and was fled, that she called unto the men of the house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought an Hebrew unto, unto us to mock us. He, hath done, he, hath, he came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that he lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled, and I got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until the Lord came home. She spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me, mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, and he left his garment with me and fled. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which he spake unto him, after the manner that that thy servant that thy servant to me that he was wrath was kindled, and Joseph's master, master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. but the Lord was with Joseph and showed mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all that all that the prisoners that were in the prison and whatsoever they did he was the doer of it the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the lord was with him and that which he did the lord made to prosper it father we're thankful for again the word which is um, an accurate picture of your hand in history and in this particular case in the life of joseph and those that he had come in contact with and how lord you moved in his life and uh, situations and hardships and profit and in order to accomplish your purpose in order to see these things uh, to be brought true thank you for it and as we consider it we ask that you will help us to be uh, people of understanding that your spirit would bring us uh, a better understanding of our relationship to Joseph's example and to the things he found himself within. In Christ's name, amen. Begin with two questions, and I think I've asked them before, or statements that came out, but one was from an Oscar Wilde playwright uh, statement he made, and he said, I can resist anything except temptation. Yeah, I can resist anything except for temptation. And that's humorous because it really speaks the truth of the human condition. Temptation is a part of life. It's a part of things that we run in contact with constantly. The second quote comes from C.S. Lewis, who writes, No man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. One works at the other you know, this matter of temptation, the desire to be good, the desire to do those things that are right. Well, we don't realize how hard it is until we recognize the matter of temptation within us, the struggle that we have. And we indeed recognize it because we need the grace of God to stand through this. Temptation isn't anything new in that sense. the Basic premise was with it, with Adam and Eve from the very beginning. It was with Jesus in the garden. It was with Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, Satan's attempt to do what what he did to Jesus is the same what he does to us today. The very battle rages on in the souls of men and women, and it's a battle that touches us sooner or later in a greater or smaller capacity uh, throughout life. With that said, I think a good place to begin this morning is with the truth that temptation is not sin. Temptation in itself is not sin. When I was a young believer, we had Dr. John Battle come to speak at our church up in Grand Island, and he gave a message on that. And I was under the, 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 the wrong conclusion that because I was tempted, I'm sinning. And he brought the truth about it. He says, no, just because you're tempted, that doesn't make it sinful. It's what you do with the temptation, how you handle it, how you move about with it. The idea that uh, what Jesus has been offered, even as he himself uh, was tempted in all points, just as we, yet without sin, hence it's not a temptation to, uh, to, to the end of sin, but Jesus kept from that. The truth is that temptation is a sign that we still live in a fallen world. Again, it's not the matter of temptation, but it's the matter of what we do with it. Paul writes to the Church of Corinth, very familiar verse, and it's one I wish you can memorize if you haven't already, 1 Corinthians 10:13. Paul says, "There hath no temptation taken you but such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you, who will not allow you to be tempted above that which ye are able. But with the temptation, also make a way to escape." that you may be able to bear it. Paul writes this to the church in saying that temptation is a matter of the experience of every believer, of every human being. It's just part and parcel of who we are and what we go through. And to the person who says, well, I'm glad when I'm not tempted, you really say, I'm glad when I'm not alive. Because as long as we're alive, temptation is always going to be before us in one form or another. I think with that said, though, we have to remember that God's way out as he presents it, Paul says it here, is not necessarily to remove the temptation. Paul says that the temptations are there and God will provide an avenue in order that we might grow in those situations to keep us from falling to it. And we can endure it in the matters of grace. Each time God promises to give us, we can resist it successfully. With that said, I think probably the greatest example found within Scripture is our man, Joseph. And specifically today with the chapter that we were looking at, uh, he was a man to whom we, f- we find ourselves in uh, very familiar steps at least one way or another. The way out that Joseph had, uh, the personal struggles that he went through, were, were things that I think were very relevant to us. Um, I a number of points to be able to share today. I think taking it out of Joseph's life, and although the situations may not be exactly the same, they're principles of dealing with temptation that I think would profit us all. And the first that comes out of his position is that don't be surprised when temptations come. Don't be surprised when temptations come. I think as we looked over his life the past two Lord's Days, or past three, We discovered in those first 17 years of his life, as the favorite son, uh, he went through a lot of struggles. Favorite son of his father, betrayed by his brothers. Now he becomes a piece of property owned by Pharaoh's bodyguard, the chief captain of those prisoners who were under Pharaoh's uh, uh, thumb. How we read that relationship between Joseph and Potiphar, though, really helps us to understand the development of things that were going on. Of all of the hardships, all of the bad things that came along, uh, the Lord profited him. Moses writes about it, and he says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. Potiphar was no dummy. As we talked about last week, the choice of Potiphar to pick Joseph versus becoming a farmhand or uh, somebody in the matter of building uh, the, the pyramids or whatever that was in there was obviously God's movement. But in the days and in the months and in the years that went on, Potiphar saw that God was dealing with Joseph very profitably. Whatever he did, however he planned, Whatever actions he took for the the good of the household and for the good of the fields, uh, Potiphar saw that this was very profitable for him. Uh, The text clearly implies that he was a wealthy man with a, a large estate. Listen to what it says again. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was upon him and all that he had in his house and in the field. Potiphar saw over the months and years that it was that went on, he says, this young man knows what's going on. He knows how, how, how things are. And his God, however he came to understand it, his God is profiting his hand and is profiting me. Uh, things were going good. Let me stop here to make an observation. I think it appears as if Joseph had got it made. Um, sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, the hardships of those initial years in slavery, the travel from uh, Hebron down to Egypt, um, and yet as things went on, uh, he's older now, he's managing the affairs of the, one of the most powerful men in Egypt. Things are doing quite well. We saw that in verses 2 through 6 over and over again that it was God's blessing on him. How then does he get into such trouble? How then does he come to this place of of great fall, we might say? There's no contradiction between the blessing of God and our temptations. There are oftentimes we think about it. We honestly think, when I'm doing right, I'm avoiding temptations. When things are going good, when God's blessing me, when God's profiting me, temptations have no place in my life. And to be honest with you, that's almost just the opposite. Temptations are there. And Why do I say that? Well, first of all, it's because if we've ever been tempted and doing things when things are going well, we end up tending to be a little big-headed and arrogant. Without temptations, without the temptations to fall, all of a sudden I think everything's going well and it's all upon me. And Those are times when Satan comes in and sees the good times that we we're doing, he tries to destroy our testimony, and he blindsides us when we are having success. That's his plan. Yet temptation, successfully resisted, prepares us for a greater use than God's plan. That's what God had provided for him. I think the lesson is clear. When everything is going our way, when you've got the world by the tail and you're on the downhill slide. When you've got the promotion, when your popularity is never higher, when your dreams are starting to come true, watch out. When things are going great, look out. Keep your eyes open. Today's victories oftentimes become tomorrow's trials. And it happens in life, and you've experienced it, just like I have. Secondly, repeated temptations can be resisted as long as the matter of the fact that you understand that they are temptations temptations are there and as they are come before you again recognize what their source is and i think that's exactly the point when joseph seems to be sitting on top of the world a new character enters into the story we don't know her name other than mrs p you know uh, she really has a relationship with her husband as only by name it would seem Uh, There's a modern phrase referring to her as the single married woman. That's what she was. The crisis all of a sudden comes before Joseph. Verse 7 says, out of the situation with great clarity, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast his eyes upon Joseph and said, lie with me. The Hebrew coming out of this passage puts it very beautifully she lifted up her eyes to Joseph another translation says she made eyes at him or she cast her eyes on Joseph when Joseph walks across the room her eyes are following him she's looking at him as a, as a prey and she as the lion ready to pounce and destroy she offers up a smile and the text says that Joseph was a, a goodly person well favored he's good looking physically he's a man who wow You know, he's got it all together. It's a grand temptation for her. Yes, Joseph looked like the excellent companion for a casual affair, a brief meeting, a younger man and an older woman. She was persistent because when Joseph turned her down, she came back again and again and again. And maybe she did this because she thought, well, maybe Joseph was a little bit afraid. Or maybe when he said no before, he really didn't mean it. Or maybe when he said no, I just needed to persist him a little more. He was afraid of what might happen. And whatever the case, she continued to be offering herself the forbidden fruit, taking still no for the answer from Joseph. I think it's worthwhile asking, why did this red-blooded young man um, turn away from, from her? Why did he deny the offer of that which is being presented to him? I think is rooted in two things. First of all, it was his loyalty to Potiphar. He says, Behold, my master wotteth not. In other words, Potiphar is not concerned with anything in his household. Wotteth not what is with me in the house, and hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in the house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. Last week we talked about his integrity, the character that was bound with Joseph. This is a young man who's being able to say with confidence, he says, I have a responsibility, an obligation to Potiphar, and I can't betray that. I can't turn that back down because of all that he has. Potiphar indeed was the offering of the trust that was given to him. But more so, Joseph was loyal to his God. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph did the right thing because he knew that adultery was wrong. Not because he felt any other way or because the offering was different and made him think differently, but because God said it was wrong. He describes it as a wicked thing, a sin against God. Today, in the world in which we live, we like to rename sin to make it less offensive. Adultery, well, it's not adultery. We could maybe call it something like uh, an affair, a fling, a one-night stand. How about making love? It sounds so sweet, so unoffensive, offering up that which is indeed wickedness in God's eyes. No matter how we change it, no matter how we describe it, it's laid before us. It's the backbone of literature, cinema. It's the backbone of the, the conversations that go around in the dorm rooms, at the parties, at the bars. It's that discussion. And yet, call it what you may, adultery is still sin because God says it so. And renaming sin does not change its character. It wouldn't matter if I come in the blue suit and had little gold wings on my, my blue suit and say, well, I'm an airline pilot. Well, just because I've renamed myself as something doesn't make it so. Just because you rename sin to be something else less offensive, less harsh, doesn't make it right. But the strength of his character, Joseph knew he belonged to God. When a man knows that he belongs to God, it makes decision-making a lot easier. It's his anchor upon his soul. It's just that simple. It doesn't matter... How lonely, how attractive, how available, or anything else she was, he could clearly say that this was wrong, period, end of discussion. Joseph didn't mess around. He didn't flirt with trouble. He didn't say, how far can we go? He just said no to the offering. Further, I found it interesting, he didn't apologize for saying no, and he didn't worry about hurting her feelings, did he? (laughs) He says, that's it and I'm out the door. But going along with this, thirdly, God's way of escape is seldom easy, yet it must be taken right away. God provides a way of escape, and it must be dealt with in such matters. I was thinking a list of possible excuses that Joseph might have made for sleeping with Potiphar's wife. Somebody else might say, but not Joseph. But maybe he said this. We're all alone. He's saying to myself, here she is, she's offering, and we're all alone, but uh, that was true. Well, how about she made me do it? Well, that's also true. It was her, upon her insistence, and that was there. No one else will know, which is also probably true. Text talks about all of the men in the house who were workers were sent out, they were the only ones there, no one would know. She's in a bad marriage. That's quite also possibly true. Situation between Potiphar and his wife, no doubt brought great tension. That set her up. I'm single and I have needs too. Definitely true. He was a good-looking young man, growing it in that time of his life. There she is, offering herself. Definitely true. I deserve this. Not true. It's not true. Everyone fools around. That's not true, even though it sounds good. God will understand. (laughs) Definitely not true. But it's a popular excuse. All excuses in his mind that he could have brought before him, but was his constant, his standard, was his relationship to his loyalty to Potiphar and that relationship, but especially his relationship to God. In a sermon that was given by James Montgomery Boyce, he notes how hard Joseph tried to avoid this confrontation as he reasoned with Potiphar's wife. And then he avoided her as much as possible. But in the end, she forced the issue. And it was all that he had for us, so all or nothing, because you know, he could lose his job. But what was more important? It was his relationship to his God. Verse 12 in our text describes Joseph's response in that final seduction. He says, he left the garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Why does he say that? He got him out. Who else could do it? It's his task. It's laid before him. No one else could get him out of that situation, get him out of that trouble but Joseph. When he grabbed his coat, when she grabbed his coat, He made up a mind at that instant what he was going to do. He started running, and he never looked back. The coat was not his property. It was in his relationship to this woman. Holding on to it, he looked like the roadrunner, heading on out, out inside, across the lawn, over the hedges, uh, through the fields, and he never turned back to see anything else. We know how he did it all, because his mind was made up in advance I think that's the character that we talked about last week. That's integrity. Because Joseph knew what was waiting for him the longer he waited, and he avoided it. What will you do when you're tempted to do that which you know is wrong? In any case, small or great, what do you do when you know what's wrong? Don't wait until Potiphar's wife is playing kissy face with you. It's too late then. Make up your mind now in that relationship with the Lord, what your actions will be, you'll know. It sounds like something Solomon would have written. There's a time to talk and there's a time to stop talking. There's a time to stay and there's a time to go. There's a time to walk and there's a time to run. We have to know in our minds when those times are and what we do in dealing with temptation. Brethren, when temptation comes, you've got to move fast. God is not obligated to give you a second chance. Paul wrote that he says God'll give you a way to escape, but he's not going to go and say, "Well, here's three opportunities or here's four opportunities. You need to take the chance that God has given you and deal with it at that time." Fourthly, those who resist temptation are seldom rewarded by the world. As you can imagine, Potiphar's wife was not too happy at the time. Hell hath no fury a woman scorn, and he recognized that, I think, right from the very beginning. Running half-dressed across the countryside, she's left with nothing but his dirty laundry, and Mrs. P wants nothing more than revenge. It was her opportunity to seek this young man's flesh. Joseph's excuse said he tried to rape him. Actually, he says, this Hebrew, talk about a little bit of racism in there. He's a Hebrew, he brought him into us. This is something that really should not have been done. But secondly, her false accusations put Joseph unjustly in prison. The rest of our text read that. The Bible says that Potiphar heard the story and his anger was burned. He threw him into the prison where Pharaoh's prisoners were held. How could such a thing have happened? It happened because the world cannot understand the convictions of the believer. The world cannot understand nor accept the convictions of men like Joseph. That's why Joseph was locked up. That's why he knew the end was coming as he acted upon his convictions, and his reward was nothing more than a quick trip to jail. That was his direction. The good news is, though, that we can stand up against temptation. The bad news is that you may end up losing your popularity. You may end up losing a lot more than that. Your Christian convictions will hold you to such. After all, the world crucified our Jesus, so what should we expect for us? What should we expect for us in holding our convictions? The final point I think that brings out the truth of this relationship with Joseph is the matter that God honors those who dare to say no to temptation. Before we leave this story, we need to be reminded that this section doesn't end the way we might have expected. If you've read through Joseph's story, he leaves, he's arrested and he's thrown into prison. And the texts make it sound like he's in prison and then all of a sudden he's on this position of responsibility and the, and the jailer puts him in charge of the whole thing and things are pretty good, you know. It doesn't really, it's not too hard. Let me read out of Psalm 105. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. The psalmist writes of this particular situation, and in, in that last phrase out of verse eighteen, his his he was laid in iron is literally his soul came to into iron. In other words, what Joseph felt. The the shackles that were placed upon him were physically binding him. But his soul was also bound in iron. The shackles were binding his soul. The life that he's gone through, all of the struggles, all of the hardships that he's done. From the betrayal of his brothers to the slavery, now into prison. And where does he find himself? Because of his faithfulness. He finds himself chained in fetters. The man was chained, suffered tremendously inside and out, physically and mentally because of Joseph's faithfulness to God he lost his job he lost his freedom he lost his reputation he became a ruined man not what we expected not what we would think but the Lord was with Joseph showed him mercy gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison but the Lord period of time in there we don't know how long it was Nonetheless, God's hand was upon him. So after time, the warden puts Joseph in charge of those who were held in the prison, made him responsible for all that was done there. He allows Joseph to make decisions that it was normally his responsibility to do. I think the story proves that God honors those who dare to say no to sin. It appears first for life. Things may not always work out exactly as we would think they will, but in the end, to say no to temptation, God cares for such, for his children, taking better care for us that we can ever imagine. You know, there are some things worse than being stuck in jail for doing the right thing. One of them is living in the prison of guilt conscious. Remember another famous Old Testament character who found himself bound within his guilt? for the things that he had done, the shame that he brought falling to temptation, tremendous temptation. What would have happened if David had only reacted like Joseph? (laughs) What would have happened to Bathsheba and, and her husband and the whole situation had David resisted and turned the other way? It's better to do right and sleep well than to toss and turn because you could not and would not say no to temptation said in the beginning, temptation comes to all. Temptation in itself is not a sin, but it's how we respond to temptation that makes all the difference in life. Irrespective of the size of the temptation or however it's brought to us. God is faithful to us when we are tempted. In the moment of temptation, we must be faithful to him if we're going to be victorious over it, just like Joseph was to his Life and his seductions, he just merely said no. Brethren, you're tempted to do wrong this week. Say no. It's as simple as that. The whisper comes, come sleep with me. Look at this. Read this. Listen to this. Taste this. Take a deep breath. Leave your coat behind and run the other way and say no. No. When Satan whispers in your ear, go on. Everybody's doing it. Don't. Remember that everybody's not doing it. Just say no. When you feel like giving somebody a piece of your mind, remember, you don't have a piece of mind to share, to spare. Just put a smile on it, bear it, and say no. When you have a friend come up and say, you want to hear a good joke? you know it's not going to be good, you just look at him and you say, no. When the boss asks you to sign a report, and you know the numbers just aren't right, remember who you are, smile at him, and just say no. When your mind plays tricks on you, and says, go ahead, no one will see you, remember, God sees you. God sees it all. Just say no. When it's your 40th or 50th or 60th school reunion and you're tempted to be quiet about your Christian faith and you run into some old friends, just say no to your fears and say yes to your faith and tell them about Jesus Christ. When you find yourself down and out against the wall and under the pile, when nothing's going right and you seem to be hopelessly entangled, You see no way out of the mess that you're in. Before you say something you shouldn't say, before you do something you shouldn't do, before you blow your top, before you reach the nearest sharp object, take a deep breath, look to heaven, count your blessings, not your problems, know that the Lord loves you, and just say no. In the end, I believe that the key to resisting temptation lies in our fact of knowing who we are. If you're a child of God, know that. That becomes the anchor to his soul in all of these situations. Whatever whatever Jacob had taught him in those first 17 years, whatever stories he brought up from Abraham and from Isaac, and, and all of the things of God's faithfulness in his life, he, there was a character, a framework built upon Joseph. So when things came and were offered as trials and temptations and struggles, he not only had the ability to say no, he didn't understand it all, but he had the, not only the ability to say no, but he knew that God was with him. How God expressed himself to know that he was with him, we don't understand. You know, sometimes we hear God be with you, you know. And what does that mean? You know, uh, sometimes I know we would would have if I would have been here earlier today and we got prayed in the back room. we said, "Be with Pastor Coleman today." What does that mean? Is, is he here and he's not here? Is he? The presence of God is it's there. But it's the relationship that I have, that we have, knowing that I am his child. My name is written on his palms. His name is written on my heart. That's such a relationship that brings me to a place of how I make decisions and how I make choices. And Joseph could say, no matter what takes place, no matter how things were going, no matter what temptations are laid before me, I cannot relinquish that relationship because he is mine and I am his. That comes to my choice. That comes to the decisions that I have to make in my life. His name engraven on our souls and written upon our hearts. You belong to him. If that matters to you at all, it ought to make a difference. And when you hear the seductive voice of temptation, irrespective of how small it is, irrespective of how we may decide to choose to obey it or not, if you're a child of God, say no to the temptation. Let's pray. Father, there are things that we are recognizing in our own life that we have failed miserably we 've listened to the whispers of the evil one and leading us to do other things that are not pleasing in your sight we 've engaged in things that are clearly wrong and and we 've allowed the testimony in such a relationship to to fall and stumble at times and we t- have taken grace for granted. Uh, We've allowed uh, this relationship with you to just be put on the side in order to make ourselves happy, in order to please the flesh in one way or another. Father, this brief over-picture of of Joseph and how he dealt with the temptations that were clearly powerful and strong uh, is none other than a gracious hand that you laid upon him anchored upon the truth of who he was and the relationship he knew he had with you. May, Father, we come to desire to be with you more and more uh, in our quiet times of our day. When it comes time to, to feed our souls, may we find your word to be that which we will go to. May we uh, find delight in memorizing and in feasting upon the truths uh, from the Old and New Testament alike. And to bolden our souls with the truth of such a relationship. Thank you for redeeming us and making us part of your family. And if there's someone here today who doesn't have that assurance, who doesn't know they belong to Jesus, uh, may Father they uh, look to him even today and uh, ask him to come and to forgive them and to bring them uh, the new assurance of their salvation. Uh, thank you, Father, for joining our hearts together around this young man in the truths of his grace. In Christ's name, amen.